Today, at last, we reach the ground zero of faith, the epicenter of the life of faith. We have been looking at the just shall live by faith. And today, we'll see exactly why and how it works. Next, on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. We, I am being blessed by what the Lord is bringing through His Scripture and through the Spirit. How about you? I'm sure you are. I know that you, like I, in your heart of hearts, wants to give glory to God. You desire to have a life that is truly walking in a way that's pleasing to God. Well, we have been in this uh, sub-series in our larger series, Hebrews, the glory of the new covenant, this subseries centered around Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, and the idea of the just shall live by faith. And for the last couple of podcasts, we've been focusing in, uh, because a lot of time is spent in Hebrews chapter 11, on Abraham and his faith, but we really find out the true essence and nature, and what was going on in the heart and mind of Abraham in his walk of faith with the Lord uh, in Romans chapter 4 particularly. And so today, that is where we want to return on the Daily in Christ podcast. And as we do, we get to what I call the ground zero of faith. What was it about the faith of Abraham that was so notable to Almighty, righteous God, who is holy. What was it about his faith that made all the difference in the world? And that's what we find, not in Hebrews chapter 11, but we find the answer in Romans chapter 4. Now, before we read the text, and we're going to be starting today in Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, I want to bring out an important thought and reminder And that is that our tendency with our unrenewed thinking, our unrenewed mind, and that's something that God is in the process of working in our lives, renewing our thinking, as it says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our default setting when it comes to our thinking, fallen thinking, the result of the fall and what happened when Adam and Eve rebelled against God is to be focused upon ourselves in one form or fashion. Even when it comes to the subject of faith, we see the admonition of the scripture that the just shall live by faith. And then we turn around. And even as I said this, I said admonition. Really, it's not an admonition. It's a statement of fact. It's an indicative. But we have this tendency when it comes to faith to look at ourselves and say, do I have enough faith? Do I possess the God kind of faith? And all these sorts of questions. Faith is not centered upon me. It's not centered upon what I do for God. It's not even centered on how much faith I have and focusing on that. Faith is altogether caught up with God himself and his ability. And that's going to become very clear as we look at these very important verses. Romans chapter 4, beginning in 13, verse 13. Now, to help lift our eyes away from ourselves to the true center, which is God himself. Remember what I've said about Romans eleven thirty six, 
And let me go ahead and turn to that verse. It says this, For of him, speaking of the Lord, and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Romans 11.36, God is the source, God is the means, God is the great end, and that is how God is glorified. Get a hold of that fact. God is God. We are not. He's the source, so don't look to yourself. Look to God, who is the source, the means, and the great end. All right, let's go to... Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And as we do, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we praise you that you are the source, you are the means, and you are the great end. You are God. And Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, about your ability the greatness of your ability. And Father, I praise you for your promise that you make to us, so many promises in the Bible. And as it says in Corinthians, they are yes and amen in Christ. Now, Lord, as we turn to this passage in Romans chapter 4, we rely upon you. Father, we pray that you would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of you. And thank you, Lord, for the action of your spirit enlightening our hearts, that we may know the hope of our calling, what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power, your ability toward us who believe, like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead, seating him high above all principality and power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, are you there with me? Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. But the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but are also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, speaking of God, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. All right, then verse 13, for the promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And remember that the essence of law is found in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, and brought out more clearly in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. It is do and live. In other words, law at the center says you live by your doing. Well, nobody can do everything perfectly and righteously but God. And so law is the exact opposite of faith. And we're going to find out why in just a moment. It says for. Now, remember that a a promise was granted to Abraham through faith. God had made the promise. God had come to this uh, man, Abraham, Abram at the time, and he unilaterally made a promise of blessing to him. Now, the verse begins with the word for, and that gives the reason for the blessedness that is given to all, not just Abraham and not just to the Jews, but to all by the righteousness of faith. Remember what it said there in verse 12, that Abraham was the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, That speaks of the Jews, the natural descendants of Abraham. But listen to this, who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So we see as we dig into these verses, the importance and the necessity of faith. Remember, please. uh, That what it says right here in verse 13, it, it says that the four the promise given wasn't by the means of the law through, that's what it means, means of the law, but through by means of the righteousness of faith. Now remember, the promise is God's promise of blessing, not your promise of performance. People, when they encounter uh, the righteousness of God, their first reaction is, okay, Lord, I'm going to buck up. I'm going to straighten up. And I promise that I'll I'll obey you. I'm going to promise to do better. I'm going to promise to be holy. I'm going to promise to walk righteously. No, real faith is grounded not in our own silly promises, but in the promise and integrity of of God. That's at the core. It's in the nature of the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And so out from that proceeds the promise of God. So the goodness of God and the generosity of God extended through the promise is guaranteed by God through the integrity of his character. He is both good and he is both True. Now it tells us right here in verse 14 if those who are of the law are heirs, okay, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Now that is significant. We have a big reason what would happen if we got the promise fulfilled by law. Well, 
In that case, faith is made void. The Amplified says faith is made futile and empty of all meaning. And remember what the Bible says in four key places, including right up against Hebrews chapter 11, the just shall live by faith or the righteous shall live by faith. If the promise was according to law, in other words, your performance, what you do, then faith is made a big fat zero. It's made irrelevant and it's made void. Not only that, look what it says in the second part of verse 14. It also, if the promise was by law, your performance, it makes the promise of no effect. So, we see how law and its emphasis upon you and your performance is the exact antithesis of faith and the promise. The promise is fulfilled through faith. And we're going to find out in a few minutes why it is important that it is a faith. But for now, the scripture is point blank clear that this thing is not through your doing. It's not through your performance. It's not through your promises, which is all law. It is through the goodness of God. And, and it is through faith. It's so important for us to understand this, that faith is made zero, void, and the promise made of no effect if the promise is granted through law. Furthermore, look at this. Look what it says in verse 15. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, this is really important. It gives us some other dots to connect when it refers, when we're looking at something being by or through law. In addition to law neutralizing faith, making it a big fat zero, and making the promise of no effect, Law also brings about wrath because with law is the idea of transgression. Let me use an example. In some locales in the world, there's no speed limit. You can drive as fast as you want. You will never have a police officer stop you with his flashing lights and siren for driving too fast. Why? Because there's no law that dictates in that locale how fast you should be going. There is no speed limit. But in most places, for instance, in the state of Pennsylvania that I'm in at this time, the speed limit is 55. There are some places where the speed limit is 65. Now, there's a law. And if in a 55 mile per hour speed zone, I'm going 65 or 70, I am transgressing the law. I'm breaking the law. I'm crossing the boundary. And when you do that, any of us who have ever done that and have seen those dread blue and red flashing lights, that's what it is here in America, in your rearview mirror and you think, oh no. And you pull over and that officer comes over and says, sir, may I see your driver's license, please? Do you know how fast you were traveling? And you say, yes, I do. And he goes, you know what the speed limit is in this area? Yes, sir, I do. Well, we've transgressed the law. We've broken the law. And now we have to face the consequences, the penalty of the law. 
and the wrath of the law. Believe me, it doesn't make it easy on our bank accounts when we have to pay the fine and the court fees. The law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, it does not say where there is no law, there is no sin. Okay, back to the driving in a particular locale where there is no speed limit. Is it smart for me to be going 150 miles per hour in that place? No, because I'm endangering myself and other drivers by driving unsafely. You can still be driving unsafely when there isn't a specific law dictating a particular behavior. Likewise, just because there's no law doesn't mean there isn't any sin and there isn't any effect that comes from sin. That comes out in Romans chapter 5. What happened with the uh, sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve was death and uh, condemnation. When the law comes in, there's transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. But we see that the law does bring about the wrath of God. Aren't you glad that the promise of God is not by law? It's not based fundamentally on your due for God, your performance for God, pass or fail. The promise of God is based on the goodness and the integrity and the ability of God, not your goodness, not your integrity, not your ability. You know, and whenever I say this or teach this, someone invariably says, wait a minute, are you saying that our goodness and our integrity doesn't have something to do this? Well, actually, technically, no, it has absolutely nothing. But that doesn't mean that the life of faith does not achieve a righteous end. Of course it does. It's the obedience of faith. It's the power of what God can do through faith and the promise becomes fulfilled. That's a really important thing to see. Here's a really important reason why it the promise is given through faith or by faith. And one time, several years ago, I asked the Lord, and I was seeing very clearly that the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the just shall live by faith. And then in Hebrews eleven six it says, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I've said this in this uh, podcast before, that the language of faith, the words faith, believe, trust, hope, appear 677 times throughout the New Testament alone. So faith is obviously critically important in the economy of God. So one time I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, why? Why is it that the just shall live by faith? Why faith? Well, the answer is in the next verse. Verse 16, listen to what it says. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure or guaranteed to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, that speaks of the Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. 
There is a lot that's so important right here in this one verse, Romans 4.16. Let's put the pieces together. Let's unpack this. Therefore, it is of faith. Here's the reason why it is of faith and the just shall live by faith, that it might be according to grace, that it might be based upon grace, that it might flow and, and, and have its basis upon the grace of God. Now, the grace of God, and I speak about this much, it's spoken of much in the New Testament and certainly in the book of uh, Romans and the book of Hebrews. The grace of God is all about God. You know, one of the things that frustrates me about teaching I hear in the modern church today is people will teach on the subject of grace, and then somehow they'll turn to us and say, well, okay, now you need to do grace. Nowhere will you find in one verse that grace is something we do. Grace is something that uniquely and only flows from the heart of God. And I've talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, that uh, God's glory and God's grace are intimately bound together. You can't separate the two. The grace of God and the glory of God are intimately tied together. Grace is powerful. You know, after studying the subject of grace for some time in the Bible, I've kind of distilled it out biblically to mean this. Grace, and first of all, the Greek word for grace is the Greek word charis, which at its heart means gift. Um, We talk about the charismatic gifts. Um, Charismatic refers to gifts. Grace is the Father's gift in totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you are so good and earned it, but because he is that good and gives it. Let me say that again. Grace is the Father's gift in totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you are so good and earned it, but because he is that good and gives it. You see, grace is that which proceeds directly from the Father's heart of love to you. And the opposite of grace is something you earn because you worked for it, right? But the core idea, as I mentioned, of grace is a gift given by God who loves us, not because we earned it or even merit it, but because God is good. And here in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, as we're seeking an answer to the subject and the reason why is it of faith, it says, uh, therefore it is of grace, faith rather, that it might be according to grace. The English Standard Version, the ESV, says this, in order that the promise may rest on grace. And the whole basis of the fulfilling of the grace of God is found throughout the book of Hebrews, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 1 through Hebrews chapter 10. Faith is not about us. Faith is centered upon God. His heart, His intention, His love. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, after three terrible verses about the badness of our condition without Christ as sinners. 
it says this, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest no one, lest anyone would boast. It is a faith that it might be according to or rest upon grace. And this all points to God. This all directs to God. This all gives the glory to God. The grace of God is intimately bound up and tied to the glory of God. The God is glorified most by the grace that he gives. And ultimately, Grace is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's that's a gift. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And look at this. We're looking at the earlier verses that tied the idea of faith. Uh, it is a faith um, and the fulfilling of the promise, the faith the promise is connected or fulfilled through faith. And then we see in the second part of verse 16, so that the promise might be sure or guaranteed to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, speaking of the Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. Because faith is all of grace, the outcome of the promises of God is guaranteed. Now, we can see the promises of God and then look to ourselves and then go, oh, I don't know how that's ever going to be fulfilled in my life. I'm falling short here. I'm falling short there. I'm not doing this right. I'm doing that wrong. I'm not good enough here. I'm not righteous enough. I'm going to show you right here in these verses going forward as we look at the ground zero of faith. Look at what Abraham did. Look at the nature of his faith. And I want you to answer the question, what kind of abilities did Abraham and Sarah have to lend to the fulfillment of the promises? What kind of capabilities did Abraham and Sarah have to lend to the fulfillment of this promise? Now look at verse 17. It says, He is the father of us all, at the end of verse 16. As it is written, the Lord said, And this is quoting from Genesis chapter 17. I have made you a father of many nations. Now, when the Lord spoke those words in Genesis chapter 17, at that particular time, Abraham was the father of one son, Ishmael. And it was the son that was given through the slave, not through Sarah, through the bondwoman. Ishmael was not the son of promise. Ishmael was a son of the flesh. He was the son of the natural. But God's intention and promise was supernatural, God-sized fulfillment of his promise. 
And as we look through these verses that follow, I, I just want you to see and thinking about that question that I raised, was there anything at all that Abraham and Sarah could have possibly done to help God fulfill his promise? <laughs> kind of answering my own question, but I want you to think about that. In the presence of him whom he believed. Now back to Genesis chapter 17, when God said to Abraham, who was Abram at the time, I have made you a father of many nations. At that moment in time, technically, Abraham was not the father of many nations. Maybe one nation through one son, but not nations. And yet here is God speaking in the present tense. In fact, the tense already done. Abram, I have made you a father of many nations. In that moment, God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham more reflects the destiny of God for Abram. And that was father. It means literally father of nations. And God gave him the name change. God said, I have made you the father of many nations before Isaac was even conceived. The child of promise was even conceived. Well, how is this? How can this be? Well, it says in the presence, the second part of verse 17, read it. In the presence of him whom he believed, listen carefully, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Let me say that again. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and calls things which do not exist as though they did. What did Abraham and Sarah have to help? God fulfilled this promise. They had absolutely nothing. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 91. Their bodies had zero capability at that point. His body was sold. It was as good as dead. And, Abe, and, and Sarah, her womb had been barren all of her life. They had nothing. Dead. Dead. But... They encountered the great I am, the great God who is able to perform all, the God who gives life to the dead. Aha! Now there's something that's a solution to their biggest problem. They're dead. They have no capability of fulfilling the promise of God. And you know what, friend? In the ultimate end of things, you are dead as well when it comes to being able to fulfill the promise of God. Ultimately, your dependence upon the fulfillment of the promise of God in your life rests upon the one who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. Remember what God did in the creation? There was darkness, and he says before it existed, let there be light and boom there was light and he said let there be seas and oceans let there be a firmament of stars and sun and moon let there be seas teeming with the fish and and the creatures of the deep let there be birds that fly 
through the skies. Let there be crawling things, creeping things upon the earth and animals and livestock. Everything that God did when he created at the beginning was out of nothing. As the theologian says, ex nihilo, out of nothing. God is the one who does this. This is our God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Abram encountered God in Genesis chapter 17, the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And he says, Abram, Abraham, now I'm calling you Abraham, father of nations, because I have, past tense, made you a father of many nations. That's the ground zero of faith right there. It's God himself. It's God in his nature as omnipotent, all-powerful, as omnipresent, all-present, as the one who is omniscient, who knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. God doesn't exist in time. He's beyond time. He created time and space. This is our God. He is the one who at the burning bush in the Midian desert before Moses said, I am. And God called Moses to go back to Egypt to confront the strongest king on earth. And then to lead over 2 million people out without the fancy logistics of modern technology that we have today. And and Moses said to the Lord, how will I ever do this? And the Lord said, I am. He said, "Who, who, who shall I say sent me? God raised his calling card. He said, I am Yahweh, Jehovah. He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Let that sink in for a moment. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Abraham stood in the presence of that God, that awesome God, and he believed. Now, Abraham's physical circumstance, everything in the natural, when he looked at it, it was hopeless. There was absolutely nothing at all that Abraham and Sarah could possibly do. They were so old. The game was over. How could they ever have a son? But watch what it says there in verse 18. Who, contrary to hope, they were in an ultimate hopeless situation of death who contrary to hope in hope believed wait a minute contrary to hope in hope believed yeah what i said was in the natural hopeless but before the presence of him who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did before the presence of that great I am almighty God. He really had hope. A hope that wasn't grounded in his ability and wasn't hindered, listen, by his or Sarah's inability. 
In other words, Abraham was not fixated on himself and his inability. He was transfixed by the infinite capability and ability of the great I am who is right there with him. And so it says in the second part of verse 18, he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Look at verse 19. And not being weak in faith. Uh, yeah, you and me, we could use that, not being weak in faith. We could use being strengthened in our faith, right? Well, how does that happen? Watch this. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He looked at reality. He looked at the physical thing and he said, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to look to that because God is beyond this. Look, you may have received a report of terminal disease and the doctor is just being honest by what they see in the natural, what they see in the flesh, and they say, you may have X number of months left to, to live. Thank the doctor. I appreciate you, sir, for your capabilities, but that's not the end of the story. That's the end of your abilities. It's the beginning of God's infinite ability. Don't look at the problem. Don't focus on your inability. Don't focus on the inability of that doctor. Don't focus on the emptiness of your bank account. Don't focus on your hopeless situation at work. Don't focus on your broken relationship. Focus on the one like Abraham did, who is God and gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Yes, your situation in the natural is hopeless. But that's not the end of the story. Let's not be practical atheists here, though we may profess and confess that God exists in our behavior and our practice. It's as though God never existed, but he does. He's the great I am. Abram, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Watch this, verse 20. He did not waver. Now, the Greek word means back and forth, back and forth. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Wow, that's awesome. I could use that, strengthened in faith. Now, how in the world was Abraham strengthened in faith? The answer is right here. Giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. What that means is he didn't look at how awesome he or Sarah was or their ability or inability. No, he was looking at the awesomeness of God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. The same God who before Abraham said, Abraham, I'm sorry, Moses at the burning bush said, I am. That's all you need, Moses. That's all you need, Abraham. I am. That's all you need, listening friend. It's all that I need. Because when we have him, we have all. All. God is the one 
who reveals himself as righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu. That means Jehovah means I am. Sidkenu means righteousness. God is I am. God is Jehovah Rapha, healing. God says, I am healing. God is Jehovah or Yahweh Jireh, which means provision. God is provision. Need some victory? He is Jehovah Nisi. He is your victory. Need some peace and well-being? He is Jehovah Shalom. Need some goodness? He is the God of all goodness. How about holiness? Jehovah Mekedesh. I am sanctification. I am holiness. Folks, this is the ground zero of faith. This is the faith of Abraham that is commended as the righteousness of faith, commended as the just shall live by faith. And so he gave glory to God. He didn't look at his inability. He looked at the infinite awesomeness of God and said, God, you are able. You know how to do this. You will fulfill. And God, you are truthful. As it says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God is good. Absolute 100% integrity. He is true. He is not a promise breaker. First, God came to Abraham with a promise. God doesn't need to make a promise. His word is true, but it's said in promise form because we're weak in our faith. He makes a promise and he backs it up through the integrity and the ability of his person. And like Abraham, turn your attention away from yourself to the ability and glory of God. And look at verse 21. And that, by the way, before we get to verse 21, that's what strengthened the faith of Abraham. That's what prevented him from a wavering kind of thing at the promise of God back and forth through unbelief. Well, I'm not sure if God's going to do this. Well, how is this going to ever come about? No. Abraham was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God. He was totally God-centered, totally Godward. Hey, preacher, pastor, minister, would you do your congregation a tremendous favor? Preach God-centered sermons, please. Because the tendency of us in the congregation is we have a default mental setting because of the fall that defaults on me and thinks that I am the great I am and looks to self to fulfill all that is righteous. No, the just shall live by faith. And it's by faith that it might be according to grace, that it might be guaranteed to all the heirs. And It is centered upon the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. The one who even in hopeless circumstances is our hope because he is the one who fulfills his promise because he is God and he is able. Watch verse 21. And being fully convinced that what God had promised God was also able 
to perform. You see the whole sequence? Step one, step two, step three. First of all, there's God in his absolute goodness making a promise. There's God who with his grace backs it up so it's guaranteed. And the grace is the wonderful gift from the Father in totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you are so good and earned it, but because he is that good and gives it. And God is God. Nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible with him. And we see that our faith is strengthened as we turn from ourselves. This is real repentance, by the way. And we face on, behold, the glory and the greatness of God. And then that convinces us fully that, that this is the best antidote for unbelief that I can possibly think of. It's right here in the scripture. Abraham was fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. Do you get it? God made the promise and God is able to perform. This is the ground zero of faith. And look at verse 22. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the righteousness of faith. After all that is said in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, all the way through the rest of Romans 1, Romans 2, into Romans chapter 3 to verse 20. There's none that are righteous, none that are good, none that seek after God. Then there is God himself. The righteousness of God is revealed. This is where the context of this is in Romans chapter 4. And then we see by faith. And why is it all by faith? That it might be according to grace. That it might be guaranteed to all the heirs. And this is the righteousness of faith. This is the faith that pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 says, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For, here's the reason, those who come to God and believe that he is the I am, the all in all. Those who come to God and believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you see how God-centered Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 is? Can you see how God-centered Abraham was? And therefore, this was the seedbed of faith, real faith, that said, God made a promise and God is able to do and to perform as he has promised. That was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, but the story is not just a historical application. It has direct application to you and me. Look at verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. That's important, by the way. 
It isn't that the righteousness, I'm, I'm sorry, it isn't that faith is the righteousness that, that counts, but faith is the means through which we receive the grace of God. And remember, it isn't faith in faith, it's faith in another person altogether, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the context of Hebrews chapter 1 all the way through chapter 10. The just shall live by faith. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. The righteousness of God is given, not earned, given. It is imputed. It is credited to our account. That's actually an accounting term. To those who have followed in the faith of Abraham right here, based upon the grace of God, looking to the one who gives life to the dead, calls those things which do not exist as though they do, gives glory to God, understands and recognizes who God is, and is strengthened because of that in faith, becoming fully convinced that what God has promised, he is also able to perform that kind of faith is the righteousness of faith that is also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him the father who raised up jesus our lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification there it is folks there it all is. And what is the message of Hebrews? It's the full basis of what is only mentioned in just a couple of verses here in this passage of Romans. All of Hebrews is about Jesus, the perfect son, the perfect high priest, the perfect sac- with a perfect life, perfect obedience, perfect suffering, perfect blood, perfect sacrifice, perfect death, perfect resurrection, perfect ascension, perfect reign. The basis of all is God. And who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Romans eleven thirty six again, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have very clearly through the scripture laid out the truth in plain language. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has brought this truth through the scripture. And Father God, I pray that through the same Spirit, you would turn the light on in our understanding that we may know you better. Father, we recognize that Abraham, his faith was strengthened and he avoided wavering unbelief. When he looked to you, he was encouraged, he was strengthened giving glory to God. And so, Lord, we do recognize you are our all in all, even in our understanding of this. And so, Lord, would you, according to your promise in Ephesians 1, 17 to 24, through the Spirit, 
Turn the light on that we may see and know in deeper measure that has a radical impact on our life, walking by faith, because the just shall live by faith. For your honor and your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen.